Good morning again, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to beautiful Shiloh Chapel on a Hill. I'm going to set this over here, Carol. Well, a couple of weeks ago, I introduced you to the book of Proverbs. Today, the introduction continues a bit. And in fact, as you can see, the title is The Fear of the Lord According to Proverbs. The Fear of the Lord According to Proverbs. I don't know that I've ever personally heard another preacher preach in depth on this subject. That's what I'm attempting to do. There's only so much we can fit into a single sermon before I put everyone to sleep, before I lose your attention, even if with toothpicks you've propped your eyeballs open. The fact of the matter is that we're going to take this in, you know, bite-sized chunks, shall we say. You remember that the book of Proverbs, written by Solomon, or it is ascribed to Solomon. Much of Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, is, well, the title is Proverbs of Solomon. Not all of them were written by Solomon. Some of them were written by others. They were collected by Solomon. And some of it was put together by compilers under King Hezekiah. Now, what is the subject? The primary subject in the book of Proverbs is wisdom. It is practical wisdom and godly wisdom. So today, we're going to talk about the foundation of true knowledge, the foundation of wisdom. And so let us begin. Now, before I read the first seven verses of Proverbs, I want to tell you this. These seven verses form a distinct unit of introduction. Biblical writers waste no time with anything less than the matters of highest priority. For instance, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1.1. Does that not say a great deal? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning was the word. That should sound familiar to you. The Gospel of John, the prologue of John. Well, at the beginning of Proverbs, we have an introduction that declares, without apology, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of true knowledge. We should always pay attention to beginnings and endings of literary works, because writers tend to put their most important thoughts, the most important images, right there, front and center, before you even get started. We should pay especially close attention to the literary introduction when it introduces a phrase that, well, such as the fear of the Lord. The introduction mentions fear of the Lord. The concluding verse mentions fear of the Lord. And all through it runs this thread, fear of the Lord. And so today we're going to look at most, not all, most, for practical reasons, we're going to look at most of what Proverbs says about this fear of the Lord. So I want you to know that the writer's use of this framing device, and this framing device for your, you students out there, is called inclusio. It tells us, essentially, to watch for this phrase, as I have just told you, as it recurs throughout the Proverbs and guides our reading of it. So then we observe, observe in Proverbs that Yahweh is the source. Yahweh is the source of every single beginning. In the beginning, God. Yahweh is the source. Never forget that. So we are to fear him. That is to say, our worship him. We're supposed to be worshiping him and we're supposed to be faithful to him. And this worshipfulness and this faithfulness to him is the beginning of the study of wisdom. And it is our primary goal. Proverbs chapter 1, verse, well, let's get started. Let's 
You don't have to read aloud with me. You can just follow along if you like. But if you want to read aloud, feel free. These are the Proverbs of Solomon, David's son, king of Israel. Their purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline, to help them understand the insights of the wise. Everybody understand that? Everybody got that? Next frame. Their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives, to help them do what is right, just, and fair. These Proverbs will give insight to the simple and knowledge and discernment to the young. Again, he's spelling out the whole point of this book. He's setting it up. We haven't seen a proverb yet. He's telling us what it's about. Let the wise listen to these proverbs and become even wiser. Let those with understanding receive guidance. By exploring the meaning in these proverbs and parables, the words of the wise and their riddles. And now we come to the very first proverb. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Now, as I started to explain in our introductory session a couple of weeks ago, much of Proverbs is written in what are called couplets. Couplets. And I'm going to get to that in just a minute. But this proverb is written in a couplet, a style of couplet, called a contrastive couplet. And one of the signs of a contrastive couplet is that word, but. After that, knowledge, comma, but. And the purpose of this is to make a contrast, to show a contrast. It's kind of like two sides of the same coin. So fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Now, when the Bible is speaking of fools, it's not necessarily speaking of people who are stupid, naturally. It is speaking of people who are essentially morally deficient. Morally deficient. Let me put it in a more biblical way. Fools are basically anyone who don't think God is worth paying attention to. Fools are anyone who decide, who make a choice not to follow the teachings of God. Fools are people who don't believe that the word of God is from a real, living, active God. Fool, he is a fool who says there is no God, the Bible says. So, fear of the Lord. This idea is the controlling principle of Proverbs and is ancient Israel's decisive contribution <clears throat> to the human quest for knowledge and understanding. Now, in view of this passage and the Bible, the fear of the Lord is the only basis, only basis for true knowledge. Apart from fear of God, that you can have no true knowledge. So, do you think it's important? Is the fear of God important? Have I driven home the importance of this? This fear for unbelievers is in fact distrustful terror of God. Why? Because they have chosen not to trust God. They have believed the lie of the devil that God has ulterior evil motives or they have believed any number of different lies, truckloads and truckloads of lies because the world is and the devil is always lying about God. The world's view, Hollywood's view, the general media's view of God, the general world's view of God is not for God. It's against God. Does not trust God. Does not trust God's word. But you see, fear, you could transplant trust in its place. For the believer, belief is trust. One who has trusted Christ as their Lord and Savior believes in the Lord Jesus. They believe in the Lord Jesus because they trust him. Trust him enough to, to believe that he is who he says he is and that he means what he says and that we should pay attention to what he says and that we should follow his commandments. So this fear is, for the believer, not a distrustful terror of God, but rather 
the reverent awe and worshipful response of faith to the God who reveals himself as what? Creator, Savior, and Judge. That last one's a little scary, isn't it? Creator is pretty awesome. Savior is really awesome, and we can get enthusiastic about that, those of us who are saved. Judge, it gives me a little chill. So, <clears throat> I want you to understand that we're going to delve a little bit deeper into what Proverbs says is the fear of God. But before I read the next passage, which is Proverbs 2, verses 1 through 6, I want to ask you this question. Actually, two questions. First question, what does it mean to fear God? Do you know? Maybe you do. Maybe you don't. Maybe you're on the fence a little bit. Maybe you're not 100% sure. What does it mean to fear God? Here's question number two. Where does this come from? This knowledge, this concept, the fear of God. It's the foundation of wisdom, the Bible says. But how do we get this wisdom that the fear of God is a foundation of? Well, let us take a look at Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. My child, listen to what I say and, the treasure, and treasure my commands. Tune your ears to wisdom and concentrate on understanding. I ask you, do these two verses tell you that this is a, a casual, laissez-faire exercise? Is it a, yeah, maybe I will, maybe I won't sort of thing? It's not, is it? It's quite intensive. Cry out for insight and ask for understanding. Search for them as you would for silver. Seek them like hidden treasures. Let me ask you, if you knew there was a place that was buried treasure, and you had a general idea of where it was, how diligently would you seek after it? How much effort would you put into it? Would you put some, a plan into action? Would you plan it out? Would you try to find the most efficient, ra most rapid way to get it? Yeah, you would. Seek them like hidden treasures. Then you will understand what it means to fear the Lord. What was that question I asked? What does it mean to fear the Lord? And you will gain knowledge of God. What is the treasure we're speaking of here? The knowledge of God. Knowledge of God. You cannot fear God. You cannot trust God. You cannot do any of that without knowing God. You must know God to some extent. And the more you know him the more you will trust him, the more you know who this God is that, we, that created us and sustains our very lives and bought us back with his very own blood, the more you will have reverent awe of him. You will come to understand that this infinite God who is so much purer, so much holier, so much greater, so much more intelligent, so much more powerful then we can even possibly imagine how can you not experience awe with a God like that? How can you not? Now, the Lord. The Lord. For the Lord grants wisdom. Where does wisdom come from? The Lord. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. How many of you have heard God audibly speak? I dare say it's a rare person who's heard God audibly speak. There's an old joke that I see every once in a while on the internet that says, if you want to hear from God, read his word. And if you want to hear him audibly, read his word out loud. It's good advice. 
He has given us his word. He has revealed himself in his word. He has revealed himself by his Holy Spirit within us. His spirit testifies to our spirit that we are his and he is ours. Amen, brother. The Lord. It is not mentioned. Well, let me just get into this. I better stick to my notes or I'm going to ramble off on a rabbit trail. The Lord. Although Israel's covenant relationship with God receives very little overt attention in Proverbs, the idea of the divine name most closely associated with the covenant, the Lord, is Yahweh. Yahweh. See Exodus chapter 3 verse 15 and Exodus chapter 6 verse 3, for example. It indicates that God's redemptive covenant with his people redemptive covenant with his people. Let me say it again. Redemptive covenant with his people. We have an Old Testament, which is an Old Covenant. We have a New Testament, which is a New Covenant. What is the New Covenant? It is in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our New Covenant. We are redeemed because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. So this indicates that God's redemptive covenant with his people and the special revelation that accompany it are foundational for what? True Wisdom. True wisdom. Now before we go any further into these, what Proverbs says about the fear of God, I want to tell you a little bit about Hebrew poetry. Hebrew poetry. Is everybody awake? Say amen. amen. All right. Hebrew poetry. We're going to get a little bit of a literary style class here. There is more to Hebrew poetry than this. But for now, I want to give you this little bit of a framework. There are, much of Hebrew poetry is written in couplets. One statement and then another statement. So you'll see that as we go on. Now there are four basic types. There's more than that, but the four most common types are one contrastive, which we already read right there. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge. Most translations say wisdom. The NLT says true knowledge. There are other translations that also say true knowledge. Wisdom and knowledge are very similar. They're related. But listen to this. They translate it true knowledge because there's a difference between worldly knowledge and true knowledge. One is pointing true north and the other isn't. It's off a little bit. Why? Because worldly knowledge does not take God's truth into consideration. Lots of brilliant scientists, lots of very intelligent people have worldly wisdom. They have worldly knowledge. But how can they have a true and complete knowledge of the world itself if they don't even consider the existence of God? if they don't even consider the Word of God, the revelation of God, and how He reveals Himself in nature. They look at nature and they don't see God. They see something else. They have a completely different idea. They, they completely misinterpret all kinds of things about creation because they refuse to accept that there is a Creator. You understand me? I hope you do. I hope you do. So this is a contrastive proverb. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge. Contrastive, why? Because there's a contrast. What is one of the key terms in a contrastive proverb? It's right there after the knowledge, comma, but. Okay? So that's one example. Let me fast forward myself through. All right, here we go. Before I get into that, I'm getting myself off on a rabbit trail here. Number the second most common type is what's called accompletive or completive. And I mentioned that before. Completive or completive contrast. I mean, excuse me, a, a com comparison. All proverbs make some kind of a comparison. The key term is and. That is not necessarily what we're reading right here, right now. There's the third type, corresponding, also very common in the Psalms, by the way. 
Now, of course, the corresponding proverb is one that has two lines expressing the same thought, but do so using different terms. Another name for this kind of couplet is called synonymous parallelism. Any of you out there that like big words, synonymous parallel parallelism. I get a little tongue-tied just saying it. This old truck driver, you know. Anyway, while the first statement expresses a complete idea, the second statement corresponds to the first. And what does it do? It adds depth. It adds dimension. It adds color. Let me give you an illustration. There's a guy I used to work with at NRB Concrete in Topsom, where I drove a concrete mixer for a number of years. It also became Williams Concrete. The last I knew, it was Ferriello Concrete. It's changed hands a few times. And there's, there was a guy there named Dave. Dave lived over in Lisbon Falls. Dave was a great guy, a very, very capable guy, but he gained a nickname, that, and it was a term of affection. Because you see, Dave was blind in one eye because of a construction accident or something, something, some piece of something flew into his eye and he was blind in one eye. We called him Dangerous Dave because most of the time he was operating the bucket loader, loading, the, buck, loading the, the, the concrete plant with sand and stone and that stuff. He was a mechanic, he was all kinds of things. But because he only had one eye that worked, he was constantly running into things because he had poor depth perception. And so when he was in a big rush, when we had these gigantic pours where we were pouring hundreds and thousands of cubic yards of concrete over in the Warumbo Hydro project over here, yes, I poured concrete in that for a while. And we sometimes ran as much as 20 hours a day running concrete in there. Well, Dave, with his only his one eye, must have backed into the garage a half a dozen times over there with a bucket loader because the garage was here, the pit, uh, the, uh, all the gravel and that stuff was over here. So he'd pick up a bucket and he'd back out and then he'd have to go up the ramp and load the hopper with sand or stone or whatever the case might be. And because of his poor depth perception, he was backing into vehicles, backing into the garage. He would go to park the bucket loader in front of the garage and run the loader bucket right through the garage door. And it cost the company a lot of money. But he was such a good worker. I mean, he really was an outstanding worker and fast. But you see, I bring up this, this whole illustration to you so that you understand what this corresponding does. It adds depth. It adds dimension. And in some cases, adds color. And so it would be like giving Dangerous Dave a second eye that worked again. You see what I'm saying? You get what I'm saying? And finally, there is comparative. Comparative usually paints a vivid word picture that draws upon the reader's own experience, something you've already experienced, in order to introduce you to another concept that may be new to you that is similar to that, okay? And the effect of this is this new truth is much like this other truth that you already accept. So it is comparative. It compares. That's why it's called that. All right? So let's get into this. Let's read. Seek his, let me trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Is it saying check your brains at the door? It is not saying that. That is a Hebrew word picture. Don't lean all your weight on what your human mind knows. I'm doing this for a reason. Don't lean all your weight. Oop, there we go. It can falter. Your own knowledge is not complete knowledge, which is why you have to trust in the Lord to fill in the gaps of your knowledge. He knows all, and you don't. And neither do I. Just because I'm up here flapping my lips at you and teaching doesn't mean I know it all either. Okay? Seek his will in all you do. Seek his will in how much of what you do? All you do. And what? 
and he will show you which path to take. Which type of couplet is that? Does anybody remember? It's a completive or completive couplet. And I'm not going to do this for all of them that we cover here today. I'm simply introducing the concept to you. Are you with me? Say amen. amen. Thank you. In verse 7, do not be impressed with your own wisdom. Do not be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, what kind of couplet is that? Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Hmm? Any thoughts? You could say it's contrastive. You could say it is comparative. But you understand the idea. You're sort of getting two sides of one coin. This is what it is. This is what it isn't. This is what you shouldn't do. This is what you should do. Okay? Proverbs 8.13 All who fear the Lord will hate evil. Therefore, I hate pride, arrogance, corruption, and perverse speech. Everybody get that? Is there anything I need to explain about that? I don't think so. All who fear the Lord will hate evil. Therefore, I will hate pride and arrogance, corruption, and perverse speech. So what are you supposed to hate? There's hate in there twice. You're supposed to hate evil. I guess that says that pride, arrogance, corruption, and perverse speech are evil, doesn't it? Not rocket science, I know. I'm being Captain Obvious here for a reason. I'm trying to drive home some points, trying to get you to understand how Proverbs works. Proverbs 9, verse 10. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. Does this look comparative to you? Fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. So knowledge of the Holy One is compared to fear of the Lord. There's an old expression, and I don't even know where it comes from, and I, usually when I hear it, it's in a joking format. It says, to know him is to love him. To love him is to know him. And it's usually led on by some long-winded guy like me who spends too much time talking about somebody perhaps at a funeral or somebody he's trying to suck up to Okay, But in this particular case, this is about God. To know God is to fear God. To know God is to love God. To know God is to fear God. And knowledge of the Holy One who is God results in what? What is that again? One more time. Okay, there we go. Thank you. You're, most of you are awake again. Here we go. Proverbs 10.27 Fear of the Lord lengthens one's life, but what kind of contrastive? There you go. Fear of the Lord lengthens one's life, but the years of the wicked are cut short. Now, I want to remind you of something. Like other Proverbs, this is not a guaranteed promise. It doesn't mean that because you're God-fearing, you're not promised that you're going to live a long life. We all know somebody, maybe loved somebody, who loved the Lord, feared the Lord, was a God-fearing man or a God-fearing woman who did not live a long life. So it's not a promise. It's not an absolute promise. However, this is a general observation about how life usually works. This proverb does not offer the religious or the righteous immunity from ever meeting an untimely death, nor does it guarantee that the wicked will always die young. There are wicked who live a long life, but it is the general rule of thumb. Rather, this outlines general principles, as I said. So, by contrast, the righteous who follow God's ways, as a rule, will lead happier, healthier, and longer lives. Let's move on. Proverbs 14.2 Those who follow the right path fear the Lord. Again, we're learning what 
the book of Proverbs says in general about fearing the Lord. So if you fear the Lord, which path do you follow? Okay? Those who take the wrong path, what? Despise him. Despise him. What does it mean when it says despise him? Well, a lot of people take the wrong path because they're just indifferent to God. They don't believe there is a God. They don't think it's important. Well, Scripture says that's the same as despising. You know what the opposite of love is? You know what the opposite of love is? You think it's hate? Exactly. You nailed it. The opposite of love is indifference. Whenever somebody forgets you on something, you ever felt, felt forgotten? You didn't get an invite to your grandmother's funeral like what happened to me? Yeah. And people go, oh man, I never even considered that. I'm sorry, it never crossed my mind. You know what the definition of not considering something is? I mean, what the word is for not considering something? It's called being inconsiderate. It's funny how when you frame the words in a certain way, it changes the perspective a little bit. Okay? When somebody didn't consider you as even a possibility, that means they were inconsiderate concerning you. How's that for a thought? See, that's what Proverbs does. It causes you to stop and think about things, the twist of a phrase. And it causes you to understand that fear of the Lord, the love of the Lord, the knowledge of the Holy One, all of that, how important it is, and how apart from getting a right view, a right picture, a right relationship with God, you cannot have true wisdom. How can you have true wisdom in how to navigate this world, and how to walk and talk through this world, how to have interpersonal relationships, how to conduct business, and all the different subjects that we're going to be covering in Proverbs. How can you do that accurately, truthfully, according to the straight line of truth, if you do not even consider, if you do not carefully take into consideration with diligence, as we've already talked about, the creator, the designer and creator of the world in which you live, the one that scripture says knit you together in your mother's womb, the one who has numbered the hairs on your head, the one who knows when your last day will be, when your first day was, he knew 10,000 years ago, and every single day in between. How can you possibly have a good, solid working wisdom and knowledge, if you don't take that into consideration. Okay. Take a deep breath, Stan, and let's move on. Proverbs 14, 26, and 27. Those who fear the Lord are secure. He will be a refuge for their children. Who will be a refuge for their children? It's not capitalized in this translation. He will be a refuge for their children. Fear of the Lord is a life-giving foundation. It, is, it offers escape from the snares of death. Well, verse 26, those who fear the Lord are secure. The man who fears the Lord has every reason to have strong confidence. Romans 8.31 says, For if God is for him, who can successfully be against him? Verse 27 Fear of the Lord is life-giving fountain. It offers escape from the snares of death. Well, the reverential fear of the Lord leads to family security and to life. See chapter 13, verse 14. The children mentioned here are the God-fearer's children, the children of a God-fearing man, the children of a God-fearing woman. Exodus 20, verses 5 and 6, declares that children will reap the benefits of the righteous parents if they love the Lord too. If they love the Lord too. Say it with me. If they love the Lord too. You 
are not protected. You are not a member of God's kingdom just because your parents are Christians. You got to be a Christian too. Okay? If fear gives the parents security in the Lord, it'll be a refuge for their children as well. Moving along, Proverbs 15, 16. Better to have little with fear of the Lord than to have great treasure and inner turmoil. Better to have little with fear of the Lord than to have great treasure and inner turmoil. A poor believer, someone who has not a lot of money, is far better off than someone who is wealthy and who's constantly worrying about all of that money. What am I going to do with the money? Oh, the market is volatile. I know somebody who is a huge investor. He is not a believer. And he is obsessed 24 hours a day. He loses sleep seven days a week when the market is in turmoil, studying where all of his funds are, all of his money is. And he does. He has a lot of money. And he is a very unhappy dude when the market is not doing well. Very unhappy. His whole life revolves around his money. His whole motivation in this world is about acquiring money and growing money. And don't get me wrong, God wants us to be good stewards of the money he places in our hands. But when your whole focus is on your money and all you worry about and think about is money, you think that's what God wants? What does it say here? Better to have a little with fear for the Lord than to have great treasure and inner turmoil. What is inner turmoil? It's anxiety. How many people do you know suffer from anxiety? Huh? How many do you know? Right. The reverential fear of the Lord, confidence in the Lord, trust in the Lord, alleviates your anxiety. It really does. If you meditate on the Lord and all he does for you, all he knows and all he thinks and all he does, and knowing that you are in Christ, that should calm your anxiety. It really should. Fear of the Lord teaches wisdom. Fear of the Lord teaches wisdom. What's the next part? Humility precedes honor. Fear of Yahweh, a stepping down from self-rule. You got that? I don't want to be too subtle about that. Of course, I've never, I don't think I've ever been accused of being too subtle. Sometimes I am by accident. Fear of Yahweh. Who is Yahweh? It is the name of God. Yahweh is the name of God. Most observant Jews fear even saying the name. They say the name because it's so holy. Fear of Yahweh is a stepping down from self-ruled, which is humility. Humility precedes honor. Instruction and wisdom and the Proverbs often show how learning wisdom increases one's standing in the community. In the same way, before one is honored, one must learn humility. Do you know that you can cultivate humility? How do you do that? You teach yourself, by the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, to submit Submit to who? God. Submit to who? Yahweh. Submit to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Submit to the teaching of the Word of God. If at any point in your life you have a thought, a position, an attitude that doesn't square up as true, plumb, and level with the Word of God, who's wrong? The Word of God or you? Huh? If the Word of God says something is wrong, it's evil, it's bad, and so forth and so on, and you think, well, maybe it doesn't mean exactly that. Okay? Tell me what it does mean then. 
The Word of God says what it means, and it means what it says. And there are ways of interpreting Scripture, and I'm showing you some of that today in understanding the Proverbs. The Word of God is called the Word of God because it is, say it with me, the Word of God. There. All right. Proverbs 16.6. Read it with me. Unfailing love and faithfulness make atonement for sin. People avoid evil. Yes, thank you for carrying on. Unfailing love and faithfulness. Who has unfailing love and faithfulness? Yahweh. Yahweh. I read some commentaries that says this isn't talking about God. I think those commentaries are wrong. I don't know of any human being whose love is unfailing. I don't know of any human being, including myself, whose faithfulness can make atonement for sin. Well, yes, in a, on a human level, there is a bit of that. But under no means, under no circumstances, can I say that my love never fails. Can you? So I think this is on both sides of it. It is both God's side and the, and the follower's side, the believer's side, can make atonement for sin. By fearing the Lord, people what? So what, have you, what are you learning about fearing the Lord? Avoid evil, abstain from evil. What is evil? Well, Scripture's full about what, what is evil and what God hates, and we're going to talk more about that in times to come. Next verse. Yes, I'm going to pick it up here. I'm picking it up. I honestly, I, I am. I'm going to pick up the pace here. Fear of the Lord leads to life. So fear of the Lord does what? And bringing security and protection from harm. Fear of the Lord leads to life, bringing security and protection from harm. Proverbs 22.4. True humility and fear of the Lord what? Leads to riches, honor, and long life. Leads to riches, honor, and long life. A life governed by wisdom tends to be more prosperous. Isn't that a bit of a contrast with what we saw before about being poor, but with fear of the Lord is better than being rich and full of anxiety? Well, Proverbs 22.4 it says right there, it tends to lead. Why? Well, if you fear the Lord and you recognize that he owns everything. You own nothing. You own nothing. If you stop breathing now, whatever you have isn't going with you. You don't really own it. You have it for a while. God owns everything. So when he puts it in our hands... What's he doing? He's giving it to us to manage for a while. And Scripture, the principle in Scripture is the better you manage what he gives you, the more he will give you. Does it not? Does it not? Proverbs 23, 17. Read it with me. Don't envy sinners, but always continue to fear the Lord. Is that pretty self-explanatory? Can I leave that one alone? Yeah, don't envy sinners. You look at all the rich, famous Hollywood folks. You ever envy them? Oh, come on, be honest. You ever envy them? Ever envy that person who won $1.3 billion in the lottery? <laughs> there, some honesty in the crowd. Some honesty. But it says, and in fact, this verse, the NLT really doesn't do, I don't think it does justice. For consistency, I stick with one translation. But the, the picture here, and the NET, New English Translation, often called the Net Bible, and the NIV also do an excellent job of translating this. And it speaks of being zealous. There's envy and being zealous. It's a contrast. It's a comparison. Envying sinners or being zealous in your fear of the Lord. That's a picture. My child, fear the Lord and the king. Don't associate with rebels. 
Is that clear? Don't associate with rebels. You know some rebels? I've known rebels. In fact, much of my early life went horribly astray, went awry. What's the term I'm looking for? Because my father was a rebel. And I, right or wrong, I mean, he had many admirable qualities, but I had a tendency to be drawn to rebels early on in my life and to be rebellious myself because my father taught me by his stories that he told that being a rebel was fun. Getting into fights with people, that was fun. I showed him. And I told him, and I don't know how many times he told stories about, I told him. I came to learn as life came on that that was pretty foolish. How did I learn that? The hard way. Early on in my life, I got into a few fights, not a ton. But I had a tendency to tell people off. I would often quit a job by telling my boss early in my life that he was stupid He was a jerk, and I didn't always use those nice terms either. And I learned the hard way that being a rebel like that is a good way to be poor. It's a good way to have bad job references. Yeah, I had that. Thankfully, the Lord woke me up. The Christian is taught to obey human government as long as he can do so without compromising his loyalty to the Lord. If a government orders you to obey, excuse me, to disobey the Lord, then you should refuse. If the government orders you to disobey the Lord, to disobey Yahweh, to disobey the word of God, you should refuse and humbly take the consequences. But otherwise, We are not looking for the overthrow of government. We participate in government lawfully, legally, in a way that the Lord honors. But we do not storm the Capitol. You understand me? We do not storm the Capitol. Now, mind you, the media has twisted that into being something different than the reality. But that was a bad move. Bad move for a lot of different reasons. We are to submit to government as we submit to the Lord. Why? Because, excuse me, God puts government in place. Yes, even bad government, God has put them in place. I know that's hard to understand, but it's true. How do I know it's true? Because the Bible says it's true. That's true wisdom. That's true knowledge. That's how I know it. My own mind, my own understanding looks at that and says it can't be true. How could God have allowed Hitler to come into place? I don't know. I don't understand. It was some sort of judgment on the nation of Germany. Some sort of, I don't know what. But the Bible says that all authority is from God. And no authority anywhere on earth, whether it's your supervisor at work or the governor of this state or the president of this country, is in place apart from the permissive will of God. I know that's hard to swallow sometimes, but that's the case. That is the case. Finally, okay, finally he's going to shut up. Finally. Okay, finally. This is the close of Proverbs. Charm is deceptive, and beauty does not last. Look at me. I used to be beautiful. Okay, maybe I'm lying a little bit there. But not, not so as I want to deceive you, just to, you know, you get it. Charm is deceptive and beauty does not last. But a woman who fears the Lord will what? Will be greatly praised. The reference to the fear of the Lord brings the book full circle. We have been studying today what is the fear of the Lord according to Proverbs. The fear of the Lord brings the book full circle here in this verse. It began with a reference in chapter 1, verse 7, and it ends with this similar reference. 
So I'm about to close. Perk yourself up. Yes, he's finally going to shut up. Read this with me. You don't have to read it out loud, but read it with me. Follow along. This is from the Life Application Study Bible. In this age of information known, excuse me, knowledge is plentiful. In this age of information, knowledge is plentiful. But wisdom is scarce. Can I get an amen? Wisdom means far more than simply knowing a lot. It is a basic attitude that affects every aspect of life. Every aspect of life. How many aspects of life? Every single one. There is no exception. The foundation of knowledge is to what? Fear the Lord, which is what? To honor and respect God, which is to live in awe of His power, and what? To obey His word. Faith in God should be the controlling principle for your understanding of the world, your attitudes, and your actions. Remember that, Gino? Gino has to fight some very frustrating traffic on Sunday nights going down to Framingham, Massachusetts. Stop and go traffic. So Sunday night is the worst time to go south from Poland, Maine. And every Sunday night they send him south. Makes no sense. It's dumb. It's unproductive. It's the worst possible time to do it. And Gino has to concentrate on Galatians chapter 5. Don't you, Gino? Otherwise, well, I won't go any further, and I didn't mean to put you in the spotlight, Gino, but you're a perfect illustration of this. And because he loves the Lord, he is going to keep saying Galatians chapter 5 over and over. And over. <laughs> yeah, it was me heading north on Friday. Yes, you were doing that too, weren't you? Yep. Yep, I had a 13 and three-quarter hour day on Friday of that northbound traffic. Well, other things too. All right. So, faith in God should be a controlling principle for your understanding of the world, your attitudes and your actions. What? What does it say next? Trust. Trust in God, and he will make you truly wise. Trust in God and fearing God are essentially the same. They're not exactly the same, but they're related. They're comparative. Comparative. Okay. So now we close. Take a deep breath. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God Almighty, we, we truly fear you. We trust you. We thank you for your holy word, for the wisdom in your Proverbs, the Proverbs of Solomon, and the many other Proverbs in the Bible that are not in this particular book. Father, help us to internalize this. Help us to have this thought, this attitude, to have these words, and to have these actions play out in our lives. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.